welcome to the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jensip Shakshai Bankard, and I'm here with someone who also uses literature-based powers. <laughs> Here's hoping we don't get entangled during this podcast. It's Greg Cass. How's it going, Greg? Stop running and let the kittens eat you. You will be fine. I'm good, Jen. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, so Greg and I are here today to review The Marvels, which is the latest film to come out of the MCU. It's a sequel to 2019's Captain Marvel, but it's also a team-up movie in which characters from two different Disney Plus series, so we have Monica Rambeau from WandaVision and Kamala Khan from Ms. Marvel, uh, are also crossing paths with Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel. So so it's, there's a lot going on potentially in this movie. But the plot essentially is that there are these three heroes uh, whose powers have become entangled so that if two or more of them are using their powers at the same time, they actually physically switch places with each other. Uh, They must then find a way, right, because this becomes a problem. They have to find a way to work together to defend the universe against a new villain from Captain Marvel's past. And so this is out in theaters now. Presumably, you know, based on past history, it, this will probably be on Disney Plus after the holidays. So like January, February would be my guess. I don't know. What do you think about that, Greg? Uh, that's probably right. Um, we are recording this after opening weekend and opening weekend was uh, not so good business wise. So it might kind of speed up that timetable um, and we can get into more of why that might be and how that might be an unfair metric for this movie. But the truth is probably... I would imagine probably the first week of January, find that Christmas break, get people back. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. It might because of that, it might even be like a Christmas drop on Disney Plus. Mm, They're thinking people over the holidays are more likely to see it. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I was kind of going on the Wakanda forever. I think was February when it came out in the fall. Um, Mm. So yeah, they have stretched that window back out. You're right. It was very small at one point. They stretched it back out. And if they really want it out of the way so that they can promote Wish in theaters, then maybe they'll just get it on Disney+. Plus. But yeah. That's a good point. So if you are listening to us for the first time, we'll have a spoiler-free section designed for those who have not yet seen the film. And then we'll be very, very loud and obnoxious <laughs> and announcing that we are going to into spoiler mode for the rest of the show. PT, you'll notice, is not here. He decided to <laughs> bow out of this episode. Uh, he's suffering from a little bit of Marvel fatigue, uh, which we want to we want to respect. And, and he just didn't want to. He was very nice. He didn't want to rain on our parade being overly critical of this movie. <laughs> so, uh, Greg, instead, you can step up. Could you tell our fine <laughs> listeners where they can find and follow us? If they don't have the long take review fatigue. Uh, well, Jen, I was trying to try to do PT, but I don't know that I have a PT in me. Uh, so if listeners don't want to miss new episodes when they drop, what they should do is follow the long take review wherever you get your podcast. And hey, while you're there hitting that subscribe, go ahead and throw a like on there. Recommend us p- spread our reviews around a little bit. Uh, we host the feed on Substack. Uh, that would be uh, longtake.substack.com. Uh, but you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever your fine artisanal podcasts are made available. And pa- uh, PT himself is the man behind the Instagram and Threads accounts, which you can find at the Long Take Review. Jen, that's accurate, right? It is PT I'm talking to when yes, I talk it's to not me. Long Take. All right, uh, he, well, excellent. We, we have discussed we have discussed that he would share the passwords and that we'd both be doing it potentially, <laughs> but we haven't we haven't made it that far yet. So so far, he's just holding mm. down the fort, which I appreciate. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. We are of just about ready to dig into the Marvels, but first, we need to do a quick 
movie news check-in. Oh, which I don't have music. Hold on. Well, okay. We can just pretend that we're bopping around. Just in off the wire, it's your Hollywood news. Okay, that might need to be what we use from now on instead. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, you're right. It is It is much more of like a movie news lounge around as opposed to movie news <laughs> update with the other music. Uh, so huge news. And to the point where I couldn't remember, I'm like, have we had an episode since this epic news happened? Mm. I don't think we have. Uh, but we've talked about it off mic. The strike has ended. So the actors, Woo! no one is on strike anymore. Yay! I wish I, I wish if I were more prepared, I would have had a soundboard thing of like people, people cheering. So it's like it's like pretty much a done deal. Um, mm. And the, and everyone's gone back to work, right? Like I think is the is the thing. So what? First of all, what are your, what are your thoughts on this amazing news, Greg? Uh, well, it it is a funny thing because as far as I'm aware, I check the news regularly. They haven't really released what the agreement was. They are celebrating the agreement. Everything on SAG's uh, kind of social media is saying it's a huge victory, a huge win. And, you know, as long as they're happy, then I think it is a, a victory. And, um, you know, it's part of the larger movement seemingly across the country, throwing in the Writers Guild and the the auto workers and uh, a million other businesses where labor's kind of standing up and, and getting a, a more fair share of these profits of these giant corporations. So I think it's it's worth being excited about. Um, you know, it was funny to me because because you and I live a good chunk of our lives in Star Wars land. And there were all these podcasts and shows and, and influencers who'd abstained from commenting on Ahsoka because of the strike. It was like, 1201 last Thursday hit and it was just this onslaught. I think I had 20 episodes of Ahsoka reviews that people had recorded and, and celebrated. So I think everybody's really excited. I don't think the actors are going to pay like a public reputation cost for this strike. I think people really understand this as they deserved more than they had and these were important issues. And so we're going to get movies again. Now, Jen, what what are you thinking? Uh, let's keep one eye on the Oscar race. How does this impact the Oscar race like immediately? The th- main thing is that there's going to be more actors promoting their movies and probably furiously so be- to kind of make mm. up for lost time. Uh, so I was listening to The Town had Kyle Buchanan, who's a big awards season reporter. And his phrase was, there will now be a deluge <laughs> That was great. A deluge of so we're just going to be flooded with actors Mm. and people, people, people who haven't been able to promote their their movies, promoting their movies. And in terms of the Oscars, you know, campaigning often turns the tide in big ways throughout the season. And so, I think Rustin is probably the biggest one. Netflix, it's a Netflix movie that stars Coleman Domingo, and people were like, I think the critics who have seen it so far were sort of lukewarm on the movie. They were like, eh, this is fine, but they love Coleman Domingo's performance. And so I think, mm. and I think PT actually texted us like an advertisement for an event, like a Q&A with Coleman yeah. Domingo <laughs> within like hours of the strike ending. Um, well, and so, 12 so, like, two last Thursday morning, I think. No, but yeah, very, yeah. very fast. <laughs> um, so I think some a case like that, you know, now he's now that movie is probably back in the game because if they mm. can get him out there sort of talking about his how he prepared for this role because it is he is playing a historical figure right and then and being charming and and really giving voice to a movie 
that it seemed like Netflix wasn't really going to throw a lot of weight behind necessarily uh, without him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's kind of back on the board in a way that was sort of fading when it originally came out or, or uh, hit the festival circuit. Because I think it's mm. not actually on Netflix yet. Um, so that's a good example of how like the campaign is going to kind of change. And I think I would say the other Netflix biopic uh, with the um, Nyad with Annette Benning and Jodie Foster, that I think is much more back in the conversation as well for similar reasons, right? If we can get Annette Benning being like, you know, I really need an Oscar uh, sort of in the Glenn Close <laughs> style. Um, <laughs> then, then or, or more success story, I should say, Jamie Lee Curtis from last year, right? Hmm. If, you know, that, if we could have, we can have a win like that more kind of centered on an actor's performance. What do you think, Greg, though? Yeah, I I think that's dead on. Um, it's funny because one of the first things I listened to just where I was in my podcast queue is I listened to uh, Greta Lee on Little Gold Men, who was still taking advantage of the uh, interim agreement that allowed her to campaign when others couldn't. And I was kind of like, oh, did you waste your window? Because she's, she's been around a little. I'm not saying she's done nothing, but there was this huge advantage for her or Adam Driver with Ferrari and the, let's see, I don't think, no, uh, Priscilla, those actors did have an intern agreement. Yeah. I forget which did and which didn't, but yeah, because they appeared at Venice. And so there was this window where you had this huge advantage, and I think some actors were kind of slow to act on it. I mean, I think everybody was figuring out the rules. Our, well, I was going to say our review, your review, I, I listened to the long take review on past lives, which everybody should do. It's the most popular episode of the long take review, um, mostly because people just can't get enough Antonio. It's just Antonio all the the time he's sure the jacob e lordy of this uh podcast um so uh i hope he listens he probably won't listen to the marvel one but i hope i hope you pass that along that he i said was, that. he watches marvel uh, stuff yeah oh okay okay good 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 he, it, might, um, it might be like a few weeks from now but he'll listen to it i think <laughs> um so uh i'm worried about that movie for all the reasons you just said these other projects are going to close strong um i actually watched Nyad this uh weekend and it's not bad. It's kind of a okay. by the book sports movie. But if I were the producers or Netflix, I would get Annette Betting and Jodie Foster out together to events and to campaign together. They are so good together. I think uh, Jodie Foster's who I would pick of the two uh, to be my candidate for an Oscar. But um, I think if they can really talk about the physicality of the swimming, because you don't really think about it. You're like, eh, Annette Bedding's swimming. There she is swimming again. And then you're like, no, she was in the pool like, you know, 12 hours a day for months. Um, so it's, it is pretty intense. And, and I think that's the kind of performance where you have to tell the story because it's not a likable character. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. So, so it's like, nobody's gonna like Michelle. Yo, everybody went home being like, she was so awesome. That was such a cool part. Whereas this is like, I kind of don't like this lady, but you do like a, <laughs> Annette Benning and you realize, you know, she's putting on, we talked a little bit about this with Lily Gladstone, how people said she disappeared in the second half of Killers of the Flower Moon. It's like, no, she was acting her heart out. And, you know, sometimes Annette Benning is just swimming and it's like, but that's really hard. And she she endured it. So, yeah, uh, I think if they can get a Leo in the Revenant style narrative going for her of like how hmm. how leathery her skin got and how hard it was for <laughs> her to do all the swimming. I think they I think they could do something with it. Um, but yeah, I am. I am actually sort of afraid for movies that have been really kind of benefit. I think to to go to your point about 
Greta Lee and, you know, some of these actors who and Adam Adam Driver who haven't really been taking advantage of the advantage that they have. I think part of that mm. is because they don't want to come across as sort of like in poor taste, even if yeah. it was legal and OK for them to do it. You know, what I mean, I think a lot of them still felt uncomfortable. Um, like I know Adam Driver, when he was at Venice, just took every opportunity to talk about the strike. Right. Like he he right. he didn't really want to promote himself, but he was there because he had to be. Um, but he he instead wanted to use that as a platform to talk about the the actor strike. So, yeah, I know. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how it how it pans out. And, you know, I think the the only thing we've seen so far really is, on like you said, on social media, where all of these behind the scenes photos and stuff that people have been holding on to are just kind of like flooding mm. the Internet. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper's the other one. I feel like I was just going to do a director race. I was just going to do a bit where Bradley Cooper was knocking on my door to say I should watch the maestro because I do think he's been sitting it out and been responsible because technically he could have been talking about it as the writer or the director, but he was playing it safe and trying to follow the guild rules. And so all respect to him. Um, I think that's still a big mystery for us as you know, people have seen it. A lot of critics have seen it, but it's still a while till it comes out. So it's going to need a, a late push. Um, but just to your point about the behind the scenes photos, um, you know, I, I think when we were doing strike coverage around the release of um, Blue Beetle, which I still have not seen, nor do I plan to see, but it was like, this was getting pretty good reviews and it was a lot of first timers getting a shot. The Ahsoka show, which we all talked through, it was a lot of people who are young and first timers on this kind of big crack. And it's a, really a shame that they didn't get to celebrate it. So it has been nice now that these projects are out there in the world. People are sharing um, things, sharing fan art of themselves, saying thank you. Um, you know, Mark Hamill had done a big role on uh, Fall of the House of Usher and just wanted to say thank you because he saw it all, but he couldn't speak about it. And um, I think that means a lot to these actors. And it, it, it does remind us this community is is nice, right? Film, film Twitter, film social media can be awful, but it can also be really nice when people celebrate good work and, and hard work. Um, just to the other thread of our coverage, now that we've talked Oscar race, summer movies, uh, sounds like we're still going to get Deadpool. It's going to be delayed a little. Um, it was too late to save Mission, or Mission was too late to save the strike. So what do you think? Right. Are we going to be have an empty summer? Anything that's already been pushed is not going to go back, right? So we're not going to suddenly be like, oh, just kidding. Now a bunch of things are getting released earlier. I think whatever <laughs> has been announced and changed, that's it. Um, so then the question just becomes... Because I think I saw somewhere, you know, to bring it back to to Marvel, is that technically there's only one film slated for the MCU for next 2024, but then there are five mm. still on the slate for 2025. Wow, and wow. Uh, that doesn't seem sustainable. <laughs> so, <I'm> just, <laughs> so, so my point is that I think this is this isn't the end of the the slate shifting, but I think I'm yeah. much more optimistic that we're gonna that we're not gonna feel that kind of dead period that we were all kind of dreading. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance that some things that would have been like, oh, I'll stream that in two weeks are like the main release for a weekend next summer. But sure. I don't think you're going to see the theaters completely empty. Um, I hate to say it, but uh, Tay Tay, uh, probably by starting this concert movie uh, realm, I don't know if you've been on your movie ticket app of choice lately. There are a lot of bands coming out of the woodwork being like, we'd like oh. to share our concert. Um, and I saw like, um, you know, uh, the the um, events company, uh, Fathom Events, um, 
has always put out things in theaters, but it seems like they were getting some additional stuff. Like um, I, I went to the theater last night and there was a an ad to come see uh, Waitress the musical. Uh, and it's like one week only with Sarah Borales, like come see it. And I was like, oh, like that just felt like stretching out and trying some additional things. So I think we're going to be OK. I think AMC is going to survive. Um, I don't think we'll have that really dead space, even if. You know, it felt so good to be back this summer. I think it's going to feel a little thinner next summer, but but not empty. All right. So, I mean, that was the main news that I had. Is there anything else that that you feel like we should cover? Uh, no, I, I think that's the okay. big one. Let's just be happy for a week, right? Yeah. We can be doom Yay. and gloom about the industry in the future. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. and I think uh, we can probably do another one last kind of strike debrief after kind of more details of the actual agreement mm, come out. Yeah. Um, though, if you are itching to hear hints of it, the town, the po- the podcast called The Town with Matt Bellany, they had the chief negotiator, whose name I can't remember, but it's a very Irish name. It's like Duncan something. And like... <laughs> Strikey uh, McPicket line. Okay, yeah, okay. I, don't know I set myself up for that one. <laughs> um, I feel bad that I don't remember his name because he was a very, he was a very uh, good podcast guest. Um, but but they were he was inter Matt Bellany got snuck in and interviewed him like right as the news broke that the the agreement had been accepted. And he so nice. there's a bunch of points in the interview where he's sort of like, no, like I I don't feel comfortable commenting on that yet because like our national mm. board hasn't even seen this agreement yet. And so like so he's a little a little cagey, but there was I think and when I think back to that on terms of highlights, it seemed like a, an agreement similar to but not quite the same because he called it like a hybrid model uh of uh, revenue sharing, though, does, though that is not the term that the studios would use, but basically mm. a, a things similar to what the writers got in terms of, you know, when a streaming film like something on streaming does really well, that they will get a piece of the pie kind of. And um, so he was kind of like, it's similar to what the writers have, but not quite, because I think some of the money will go directly to actors and uh, some of the uh, like some of the money will go to a trust established by SAG-AFTRA. Um, so I think the details are pretty complicated, but that's, it sounded like they were pretty happy about that because apparently the studios were like, there's never a world in which we will share revenue with you. And then now, <laughs> now they, um, they're probably calling it something else or like the, you know, the structure mm. of the pay, the flow of the money is like technically not revenue sharing, but is, is, is as close as they were going to get. And so they're happy with it. And then the other thing was the, the AI stuff. They were like, we probably, as this, as the technology evolves, we might have to revisit this during our next when the contract is up again, but they were, they were like, this is the thing that we needed to do to sort of secure the future. Mm. Um, though there was another podcast I was listening to. I want to say it was next best picture that said that the, that um, an, an executive, like the day after the strike ended came out being like, well, an AI in five to 10 years is going to be able to do 90% of animation work. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, uh, Katzenberg from DreamWorks. Oh, okay, yes, okay. He said that. yes. Yes. And I so, mean, like, how hard is it to make a Minions movie, says a guy with no animation experience, right? But if you're if you're just doing the kind of um, DreamWorks has been doing, you, you know this because you're a parent too. DreamWorks has been doing like good quality theatrical releases, but they put out a lot of junk on Netflix. It's like a spinoff yep. and animation looks really bad and the scripts are terrible. And I think that's the kind of thing he's thinking about. And um, yeah, and because kids 
well, we can be honest because we're parents. Kids are dumb. So they're like, there's Puss in Boots. I will watch that. And the fact that it looks so terrible compared to Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, they don't know. They're just like, I like the, the hat on the cat. It's a good time. So so I, I do think he has a specific version of his company, but it's pretty gross to be out in the moment saying that. So I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, I think you're saying, Jen, that this deal is so good. It's almost as if some other reality has uh, run an incursion <laughs> on our own to get us there. So maybe we should talk about a different incursion. Yes, yes. It's, it's an amazing backflip of a segue. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're going we're gonna to share our short takes of the Marvels. Uh, so this is just our general reaction to the film. So, Craig, what... What did you think about this? And you know, feel you know, because this is part of the MCU, I think we're gonna get to the rhetorical situation and more context later. But I feel like expectations going in versus what how how the how the expectations fared after you watched the movie, I think is very much appropriate to talk about. So if you wanted to kind of start with that and then give your short take, that would be great. Actually, uh, Jen and I together in grad school went to an early screening of Iron Man. So uh, when you hear other podcasters say they are the oldest MCU fans, we were MCU fans before it even came out in theaters. So so put that down and take that other podcast. Um, and I will say I have been dyed in the wool since then. Um, I have seen a lot of friends come and go from Marvel fandom. Uh, a lot of my kind of normie friends uh joined during the pandemic because they were home and wanted to watch the 30 movies and commit and then they like wandered off and they're all like oh i'm sick of it now or i'm fatigued and look i'm gonna be honest uh, there have been some real bummers uh perhaps uh say february of this year with quantum mania and some of the other uh recent installments but i remain a very much a devoted person to the mcu and to the mcu project and i think it's okay if it's not ever again at end game heights of popularity um so uh, it doesn't need to always be at that level. But I'm pretty satisfied with the level it's at. So um, I really loved the first Captain Marvel. I understand why some people don't like it a lot. But Captain Marvel slash Cap Carol Danvers is one of my favorite comic characters. I don't collect a lot of like sets of trade paperbacks, but I have all of hers. And I also have all of Ms. Marvel's because these are two like top tier uh, characters for me. Uh, sorry, Photon. Uh, although they don't actually use her name in the, the film, like I don't think. She has like four different names. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So um, there's a bunch of. <laughs> so despite the fact that this uh, ahead of time, this has had so many delays that kept pushing my expectations lower and lower and lower. Right. Um, we joked that our kids got the Captain Marvel Happy Meal toys in July because McDonald's couldn't change the schedule. And so they, they were like, what is this, Dad? I'm like, I don't know. Like something uh, we'll have to watch the movie in, in November. Um, so that did push my expectations down. And then um, honestly, when I heard it was going to be a, a like 100 minute movie, that also put my expectations down because it kind of had this feeling of if that's all they can scrape out of this, um, that's going to be rough. And then the last thing that lowered my expectations was a little something called Secret Invasion, which to me was 
the biggest misfire in the Marvel canon thus far. Um, again, I have watched literally every minute of the MCU, and that was the first time I really contemplated, like, do I have to finish this? And it ended up not being that relevant to the Marvel, so I'm almost mad I finished it. Um, but it had a Simpsons quality where it's like, well, we have to just land everybody back at starting position so that next episode it can continue. Uh, so lower, lower, lower expectations. I had a great time at this movie. I had so much fun. My son and I went uh, opening night. Uh, we got cheeseburgers and went and enjoyed uh, one of the first screenings and had a really fun time. Um, I would recommend this movie to a lot of friends who have Marvel fatigue because I think this movie remembered that comic book movies should be fun. And, you know, we often talk about DC having forgotten that lesson. But really, Marvel forgets that lesson at times, and things get so deadly serious. But this movie was fun. I probably laughed more at this than I did um, at a lot of the comedies that were out this summer. Um, it was uh, a huge amount of fun. And uh, I would really recommend it. Uh, I, I don't think I'd recommend it as somebody's first Marvel movie. I think you'd just be too lost in the convoluted mythology. But if you're somebody who has kind of been hit or miss since um, Endgame, I would say hit on this one go for this one and give it a try because it, it's definitely uh worthwhile what do you think jen how did you react so my expectations were also fairly managed i mean so one of my qualities just as a human being is that i'm i'm loyal past rational thinking you know what i mean like i i i will hang on to something and be like and believe in it until way past the appropriate time uh and you know i so i feel like i've never been quite out on marvel but it really is hard to 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 block out the noise right of of mm. and especially since you and i both follow a you know a fair amount of podcasts that that you know i listen to a lot of podcasts that love hand-wringing about the mcu and being like is marvel mm. really in a slump you know what does this mean for the future of marvel which is the biggest friend like have they finally not are they finally not sort of the the king of the theatrical experience anymore are marvel movies never not events anymore so you know so it's hard for me to kind of not listen to that discourse and you're right with the the shorter runtime though i was really excited about that having seen a slew of movies that are are three plus hours recently mm, um, yeah <laughs> uh, it was like great great a night and you know like uh, uh it was easy to get people you know get my husband to, john to go with me i was like movies a tight 90 minutes and he's like i'm in uh you know <laughs> whereas i told him how long killers of the flower moon was and he's like i can't do that yeah. so so i was you know in general i you know i was but i was concerned about what that meant like you like you mm. and so my you know going into it i wasn't really expecting too much uh, though I like all of these characters. And so, you mm. know, I was, I was like, you know, trying to manage my expectations, not expect a lot, but, but still be hopeful. And like you, I had a really great time. Is this a perfect movie? No, not by any stretch. I mean, like for me, from th picking out specific things, the plot takes a lot of time, especially considering the movie's shorter, you know, the whole first <laughs> act, the plot is like not co totally clear, like what it actually is. There's a point at which it clarifies. And then I was like, oh, this was actually pretty simple and straightforward the whole time. Uh, I just mm. didn't realize it. But I feel like, yeah, plot has some issues. And it's just like, at best is just like nothing special and is like sort of formulaic. But the thing that I actually had a more of a problem with was the villain. Uh, and, it's, and it broke my heart because I was like, this is Tom Hiddleston's 
partner uh <laughs> she seems super cool and like how amazing it would be if they became like this mcu power couple um but mm. her her care and her performance was fine like i have i have found no fault with her as an actress and i, I thought she was doing the best she could but at the end of the day the villain was like very very underwritten I thought. Mm. And so that, you know, those two major components, the plot and the villain really kind of kept this from being a great movie for me. But, you know, I, it was pretty easy for me to just kind of like hand wave those things away and not pay too much attention to them and still really enjoy these three characters kind of teaming up. I think this is like a really, really fun team up movie. And the dynamic and the chemistry between the three actors was great. And like, there's just a lot of things, goofy, weird things in this that I really appreciated, Mm. uh, which we'll get more into, I'm sure, in spoiler mode. But uh, I felt like the tone of this movie was really coming for me uh, in a way that I didn't expect. (laughs) It's true. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And like, and my big thing, and, and this is sort of, I, you know, I'm halfway through my written review. Uh, and the main thing I keep going back to is like, Marvel has had such a hard time figuring how out how to empower empower its female characters. Uh, you know, mm. I, if we think back to like the the scene in Endgame where it's like all the it's like Pepper Potts and all the female characters mm. like standing side by side, and it's like Marvel very cringily being like, "See, we have women, right? Like they're all <laughs> right here. Look," um, in kind yeah. of a patronizing way. Uh, and then actually, the the you know some of the things that I didn't really like about Captain Marvel, a movie that I I like fine, but it's not my favorite. But I feel like the needle drop in that in that where they play No Doubt's Just a Girl mm. at the start of a fight scene. I'm just like, really? Like where it just feels so like it's like it's pandering and it and the, yeah. and like try, trying and I, I applaud the effort, but like you know, I've, so I've always felt like the MCU didn't really know what to do with its female superheroes. But this movie just to me feels so effortless in just being like Mm. a cool girl hangout uh like you know like and i felt like i really connected with the three characters hanging out together and trying to learn things about each other and learn how to work together um and that for me is like is i was like we and it's and we're gonna talk about the box office later and figure out what's (laughs) going on with that but it's just really disappointing to me that this movie is gonna get kind of lost in the shuffle Mm. because no one either no one's gonna go see it or people people are going to focus on what's not working about the movie and not realize that there's something actually like really unique and, and awesome in this, um, in these three characters. So, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, we, you, you already dipped into the recommendation algorithm in which we established the audience of a film. There we go. Not everything is for everyone. We acknowledge this. So, and with any Marvel movie, you kind of have to ask like, you, know, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, right? Like, are only the diehard loyal Marvel fans who are still hanging on and still still coming out? Is this movie just for them, or like, who else would we pitch this movie to? Hmm. Um, I think this is a chance to win back a few of those who wandered away, right? Um, and I, I will relate this back to the runtime. I think you and I both enjoyed Wakanda forever, but the runtime, that clocked in at like 2.45, I think. And it was because 45 minutes of it belonged to the Ironheart TV show or to whatever Julia Louis-Dreyfus is up to, right? And so I think this had the advantage of not giving over a chunk of its runtime to set up something else. There are 
teases and hints at what's to come next in, in good Marvel fashion. So I would also say if you are somebody who gave up on Marvel because you just felt like too much, I wouldn't worry that much about the homework question, right? Like how how much you have to watch before this. I think everybody watched WandaVision because of when it hit during the pandemic. Um, it just seems like everybody was stuck home. And uh, that, that also won over a lot of fans. But I do think that um, if you hadn't seen WandaVision... I think even if you hadn't seen Ms. Marvel, you may not understand who this girl is and what her powers are, but the movie makes it pretty clear pretty quickly. I don't I don't think there's a steep learning curve um, for that. Um, so my recommendation would be if you like superhero movies, uh, I also think um, to the point about the box office, I personally feel like you have a duty to support uh, creators and films where they give women characters a shot, where they empower a black female director, uh, where they forefront a Muslim American character who's awesome. Like all of these are are the types of things we don't get to see in movies. And so I'm going to vote with my dollars. And that's what's going to get me to go a second time, right? Is that I want to do my small part to boost this this box office um, in, in addition to having just a fun time. So I'd recommend it to any of those people. Um, I think of my uh, beloved wife who uh, long ago, I think after Captain America 2 was like, I think I'm good. Like, I think I've had this experience. But every once in a while, if I say, no, this one's worth it, um, she'll go. And that list was Black Panther, Captain Marvel. And I would add this to this. I'd say, say go, have a good time. It, it's a little more convoluted than those other two, but have a good time and just enjoy it. So if you're somebody who likes the high highs of Marvel, but maybe doesn't obsess about seeing everything, I would put this one on your list, especially because as we just alluded to, we might not get a quote unquote real MCU movie until 2025. That's a long time from now. <laughs> right. And I feel like, you know, if you really enjoyed WandaVision, you know, there's continuity with that show through the Monica Rambeau character, but there really is just like one line of expo- exposition that sort of like mm. connects to that. Whereas I would say if you really if your favorite Marvel series or one that you really liked was Ms. Ms. Marvel, that would be my my recommendation. Right. Is if the, out of all the shows that this connects with or all the other MCU properties that this connects with, I would say if you liked Ms. Marvel, this is absolutely the the film that you need to see because it really like her her family's in this a lot which was hilarious and like you're just going to really appreciate seeing those characters again yeah and like it's one of those things where like there's enough in here to help you comprehend if you haven't seen that show but with Ms. Marvel Mm. in particular just like an appreciation of her perform of Iman Vellani's performance because so many critics have said that she's basically carrying this movie on her back and like elevates this movie and like makes is the heart and the soul of the movie. I would agree with all of those things. And so I feel like if that show was the one that you were like, oh, actually, really, I really liked that one. But maybe you weren't as hot on some of the other Disney Plus shows. I would say this is a great this almost feels like a crossover TV movie. You mm. know what I mean, like if this like, you know, obviously, I'm glad this was in the theater, but based on the the length and sort of the plot premise and all that stuff and who's in it, I feel like it very easily could have been the sort of like Disney plus TV movie yeah. drop that maybe they had in mind at some point. Um, Cause I feel like there were rumors about that. Like, Oh, would, would we get something that's specifically for Disney plus that would kind of cross these shows over. And mm. so I feel like if that's, if that describes you, then, then it's it, like, this is a nice reward for people who've watched the shows. Um, yeah. though I agree like it's not it's not required necessarily 
uh, to watch them. You're but, you're reminding yeah. me of the the editorial philosophy at Marvel Comics, which they always say they'll rarely live up to, which is that every issue could be your first issue of any comic. And like that may technically be true, but I think you wouldn't really enjoy a lot of them a lot of the time. But it does feel like if you wanted to drop in here, there's enough detail here that you could get it. And then the goal would be the little editor's note that's like, hey, the cons seem really funny and really interesting. I should go watch Ms. Marvel. You could absolutely do that. And if when Photon refers to a witch hex, you could be like, what's that about? I'm going to go watch WandaVision. And I think you could piece together all those things. Um, but they do feel optional here in a way that I think is important for the MCU moving forward. That if we force people to watch everything, they're going to resent it more than they are going to enjoy it. So let's just let right. And honestly, that might be on. we keep spoiling this future conversation. Sorry, but I feel <laughs> like that might actually be part of the. We can debate whether or not this is true, but I'm just going to put out there that that might be part of what's keeping people from going to see this movie is because that they're assuming. Mm. Oh, like these are characters who are from the TV shows. Like, so I haven't seen those. So, or, or they just don't that. know who these people yeah. are or something. Yeah. I don't know that they're averse yeah. to that. Um, or they feel like they're not prepared to go see this movie. I would actually say that, like, in terms of required viewing, the movie Captain Marvel is probably the most helpful in terms of just like mm. understanding story and plot. Cause there are so many things that, that this, the plot of this movie builds on from Captain Marvel that if you haven't seen that movie since it came out, you might be kind of like, what? Mm. <laughs> um because i i re had rewatched it like somewhat recently like in the last two years and so i was like oh yeah like i was able to pick up what they were putting down in terms of like oh i remember you know these references to things that happened before or like you know uh but i feel like i feel like if you're gonna watch one thing i mean we want i feel like we want people to watch ms marvel because it's amazing but yeah. in terms of like understanding the movie plot wise maybe captain marvel is more important i don't know I, I think I'd go with that. Um, and remember, Captain Marvel, the film came out in between Endgame and sorry, uh, Infinity War and Endgame. So that is something a lot of people saw. It's a billion dollar movie. Um, and right. There's a way in which this could never live up to that because of where we are in the Marvel, you know, continuum now. But um, I do think a lot of people saw that and may have kind of put it aside. And now you could pick it back up and, and enjoy it. A lot of it. Um and, you know, uh, I guess the only other recommendation I would say is if you're not a superhero person, there's probably not a lot to draw you in here. But I would say if you are interested in kind of directions for the future of the MCU, again, thinking about the pandemic fan who joined up because they heard about this cool interconnected thing, things got a lot less connected for a while. And I think that was the frustration. Like, I, I have a good friend who loved Shang-Chi was like that had nothing to do with anything i'm like well wong was in it but anyway uh so like there's this way in which like i think people who really wanted the connections felt disappointed by phase four because it was all more expansive and now it felt like this was more of a turn back to here's where we're headed we have a plan again so if, if you're somebody who misses that about the mcu you might come back for that reason my last recommendation is going to be if you are a crazy cat lady like me, <laughs> you need to go see this movie. It is it has lots of cats, mm, <laughs> which enough. is not a spoiler. Because <laughs> the trailer gave that away. I feel like the yep. Internet was they're really leaning into that with the marketing, I think, because they're just like showing clips on Instagram with just like cats, tons of cats. Um, and they're yeah. not really cats. They're flurkins. But, you know, but 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 basically they're cats. 
that are aliens yeah. on the inside. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, if, if your favorite part of the Captain Marvel movie was Goose, uh, like me, then you can't you can't miss this. This is great. Mm. Uh, all right. So I think we are ready because I've already alluded to, well, this will be a spoiler a couple times. So I think we're now ready to go into spoiler mode. So if you have not seen the Marvels and are just generally not caught up on the MCU, uh, then go go watch Ms. Marvel, go watch Captain Marvel, go watch the Marvels, uh, you know, or, or just go watch the Marvels, because as we've said, you could do that if you wanted to. Then rejoin us for the rest of the conversation. So the main thing in terms of spoilers, I think a lot of critics have been like, post mid credit scenes we're back baby uh like, like that that like maybe the theater that they were in i've heard multiple critics talk about this where they like would go to a screening and it would be kind of quiet but then once the mid the, the, the well so one is technically there are two scenes we were going to talk about one is technically mm. just the ending of the movie though it feels like mm -hmm. it could very easily have been a post credit scene and then the other one is the actual mid credit scene there was no post post credit scene as far as i know uh, though some people are like, there was like an audio clip or something. So did yeah. you stay past the regular credits? I didn't. So can I just put in a friendly disclaimer? Hey, Marvel fans, especially those that go on opening night, you don't have to tell people there's an end credit scene. People know at this point. The last like five <laughs> I've gone to, somebody stands up, like people are getting their coats on and somebody stands up and is like, wait, wait, <laughs> there's a credit scene. And I'm like, Listen, we all know, and if we're putting our coats on, it's because we have to pee or we just are done, right? And so in this case, I had heard on the internet that there was not an end-end credit scene. It was nine o'clock. I had my eight-year-old with me. So we watched the mid-credit scene, which blew our minds. And then we got up to leave. And this guy's like, hey, buddy, there's another scene. And I'm like, no, there's not. He's like, yeah, there is. There's another scene at the end of the credits. And I was like, I read on the internet there is no end credit scene. And I yet almost stayed just to say, told you so to that guy. But I did not. I went and took my eight-year-old home. So, Good man. Uh, But yes, uh, I think... I, I did not hear it, but I will put good money down on the fact it was probably the X-Men theme song because oh. what happened in the middle of the credits, Jen? We got Beast and, and <laughs> kind of peculiarly Kelsey Grammer's Beast. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, like, were you, how, were you excited about this? I, I was excited because it was the X-Men. Was I really excited that it was Beast? No. <laughs> oh, um, right. Beast is like one of my favorite X-Men. Oh, okay. I'm I offended mean, I by this. The, I don't have the connection to all X-Men that I generally have, uh, that I that other people have. So um, I would say that I mainly know the X-Men through their movies, and Kelsey Grammer's Beast is not an exciting part of the movie. You would think they'd go with Nicholas Holt, a kind of hot movie star, both physically hot and like talented and he's, on the rise instead of Kelsey Grammer. He's not Grammer. as good, though. Mm, fair um, enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, or, or he's just not what I think of when I think of Hank McCoy. Um, mm. though he was, he was fine. I should, I shouldn't be disparaging. He was fine in those movies. Um, but I, I was like, he's not quite. And then part of it's cause he's supposed to be young, young Hank McCoy and not old crusty, mm, you know, right. Book bookish. Hank McCoy. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's it. Well, so I grew up on the, the nineties animated series. Mm. Uh, and so 
so you know a lot of those characters like so x-men is like hits a very nostalgic place for me usually um but the thing is that like they have just been teasing x-men forever yeah and i i feel like i finally gave up and was like oh like they're just still figuring (laughs) out how to integrate that like like you know i mean like i had sort of and this for the first time feels like a real reference because Monica is a character from our MCU universe. You know what I mean? Like right. she's from our universe and she's now in this other universe. Right. Whereas like the fake out, I feel like with Patrick Stewart and multiverse of madness was like, not that right. That was like, Oh, we're just teasing you with the prospect of having X-Men back and having these mm-hmm. old actors who used to play the X-Men back. But, but, with no no real plot or no real sort of narrative stakes you know what i mean because like they just sort of they killed all those characters in that other dimension and yeah left so like <laughs> it's like it didn't really <laughs> feel real um in the way that this did although i will say that like um uh was it isn't it comp- like ms marvel is the st- the series that first said that they were mutants right Yes. So you, Ms. Marvel is a mutant. And I think that's really important. So that's a good thing to bring up here, right? In the the uh, comics, Ms. Marvel is an inhuman and gets her powers from the release of Terrigen gas. Now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of burned through a lot of that material. And for better or worse, it was kind of used. And then the inhuman show was such a flop because that's one of the Marvel TV projects that Feige couldn't control. So all of that kind of burned the inhuman route. So I think it is very significant that we've kind of said, we're good. We're going to leave that room of the mansion closed and we're going to go to X-Men. Um, I just want to agree that this is, does feel a lot different. Um, it's worth noting that it's very clear that the dimension Dr. Strange went to in the middle of multiverse of madness is not this dimension, this reality because uh, LaShonda Lynch, who was in the first uh, Captain Marvel was Captain Marvel in the Patrick Stewart Multiverse of Madness dimension, right? She sat on the Illuminati board as one of them. And here she appears as Binary, which is a character I had to look up. But what I understand is that Binary is the most powerful form that Captain Marvel ever took. So this is a Captain Marvel variant, essentially, but uh, from a different timeline. So, uh, So... And from a storyline that is her working with the X-Men. So it's like it's very X-Men specific version of this character. So I didn't have to look this up because I went to see this movie with uh, my neighbor Colby, who is the most well-versed in the like classic (laughs) vintage Marvel comics. Like he's like Mm -hmm. like, he occasionally lends me issues and I I always feel like, oh, God, like I'm going to. I really need to handle this with, <laughs> with the kid gloves because I want, don't want to hand them back in worse condition um, because they're mm. really, they're original to the, you know, the eight seventies and eighties. But so he was, he had the whole lowdown on, he was like, well, this is binary and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, so that was, that was really handy. Um, uh, but there's a storyline that, that is Captain Marvel with the X that where Captain, the one time Captain Marvel is like with the X-Men uh, and it's a part I th- I want to say of Secret Wars, which which in theory is the story we're kind of working towards in Phase mm-hmm. Five? Question mark. I mean that might change now, but you know, yeah. Um, at least as of as of whatever last 
TED talk Kevin Feige gave um, <laughs> about the slate. Um, that was that was sort of the idea. And and my to my very crude knowledge is that Secret Wars is like this um, battle royale kind of multi- multiversal battle royale thing where it's like different hero Marvel characters from different dimensions are sort of like pitted against each other it actually to me i was reading about it and it sounds a lot like um with the, the arnold schwarzenegger um oh no what is it called oh this is terrible podcasting um running man recent oh <laughs> no i don't movie? know running man so i can't bail what? you out no oh, no geez. i have i have read some of this uh secret wars because because you know often when like they're building one of these it's a series from like a really long time ago the secret wars was like 2012 um and i think at the time it had been so built up in popular culture like this this is going to be the end of the marvel universe and it's it's based on an incursion and we get that word here we also got it in in uh doctor strange multiverse of madness but it's like the two universes smash together and when that happens they both end and all the heroes had tried to stop it and then it goes into this super weird battle world where like all the law enforcement are Thors. And it's like, what? Like, I had no idea what was going on. And I was pretty new to Marvel comics at that point. And I was like, I don't think this is for me. I can't figure this out. So I, I let it pass. But um, yeah, it, it is a, a kind of wild one. As with all Marvel projects, I'm sure it'll be a loose adaptation, but I bet there's something about these dimensions all coming together. And all the websites I don't follow, but Facebook wants to recommend to me are constantly like, and it's just confirmed, Tobey Maguire and Hugh Jackman are leading a team made up of these people. So the hope from comic fans is that this incursion brings like everybody who's ever been in a Marvel movie of any kind together. I think that's wishful thinking, but maybe Feige will surprise me. I mean, it, realistically, it's whatever actor is still willing to come back for these movies. They will yeah. probably ask everyone, but then and then be like, OK, who said yes? And then kind of work something <laughs> out from there, um, which maybe is not the best way to to build a story. I'm not sure, but um, but it might be what happens. So. So, yeah, I mean, this was this was huge. And I think that I mean, in Ms. Marvel, just the little quiet refrain of we got like i lost my mind <laughs> so like this seeing an actual version of beast talking to a character who is you know in part of the mcu was just like mm. yeah i i yelled and, and clearly clearly in um the school right she's in the underground base with the the x door and and all that so yeah it's it's super cool but i'm gonna confess to you i thought the one before that was more exciting and i know you thought both were exciting so the other one uh being an actual scene in the movie because you're right it felt like that could have been the mid-credit and then we get beast at the end but maybe that's part of knowing people are fatigued. It's like, you don't have to sit through all the visual effects artists who we wronged to, to make this movie. Um, so uh, the kind of cool scene is a, a essentially a recreation of the first end credit scene where uh, Nick Fury showed up to recruit Tony Stark. And it's Kamala Khan uh, surprising Kate Bishop by sitting in the dark in her apartment and recruiting her to start the Young Avengers, one would assume, right? Um Man, it's so hard because I have so many friends, one of whom you were engaging with on Instagram today, who love Kate Bishop. And I want to say, go see the Marvels because you get a little Kate Bishop. You get a little pizza dog. Uh, and yet uh, it's hard to like if I say those words, then it's like, well, I ruined the surprise. And it's so brief. You really oh, that's true. Can't how do you how do you tease that, that without giving it away? <laughs> exactly. So that's true. Um, that's but true. It, 
I think this is absolutely a plan for Young Avengers. Why are you so excited about that? Well, mostly because I love these actors and these characters. So, you know, K- Kate Bishop and Yelena Belova from the Hawkeye series. I know we, we see Yelena in other contexts like the Black Widow movie, but I feel like the specifically the two of them in the Hawkeye series was one of my just my favorite things. Uh, they were so <laughs> funny, so charming, so playful and playing kind of playing off of each other. And really, I feel like this might be a hot take, I guess, but like the closest we've come to the Robert Downey Jr. Avengers kind of goofing around with each other. You know what I mean? Like the, it, it, it to me, yeah. it's the closest we've gotten in terms of following up on the magic of the chemistry of those original Avengers actors. And, and so like just that really, and then that plus adding in Iman Vellani's Kamala Khan. And it's just like, I'm just like, I'm so excited to see what trouble they get into. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, and they're all so funny. Uh, and that's the thing I really love is that like they're not going to all be really dour and super serious, and um, mm-hmm. which is something that I you know your mileage may vary on how reasonable a characterization this is. But a lot of people who don't like um, Brie Larson's uh, Carol Danvers kind of complain that she's sort of like too too serious. Um, mm. So so to have have more of the kind of quippy young energy, I think for for these actors like really is really super exciting. I have to be honest, like I don't actually know any, I haven't read any of the young Avengers comics. Um, I've read a bunch of the Kate Bishop uh, Hawkeye comics. uh, So I'm familiar with kind of the comic version of her character, but in terms of like the storylines that they would have, I have no idea what that would involve, but I'm just, just the prospect of, of these characters sort of meeting each other and working together brings back that kind of old, old Avengers magic for me. Yeah. And and again, I, I have read some of the Young Avengers, so um, I'll, I think all I would say, because, again, I don't think they're going to adapt it directly, but the point of Young Avengers was we've got all these awesome teen characters that have become hugely popular. Let's put them together. Um, Team-ups such as the Champions have also kind of harnessed that energy, um, and it's super fun. Um, they're also modern comics, so it's like, you know, there are queer people and people of every race and ethnicity, and that matters and it's just such a better team up than the kind of stodgy old here's a bunch of white dudes named chris or whatever their names are uh and so like (laughs) it's really refreshing to read those comics and then it's like oh there's a lot of potential here and you know um I, I never trust any reports from behind the scenes of any company because the internet doesn't really know. But there were reports that kind of the point of phase four originally at one point was going to be to get all the quote unquote grownups out of commission. And maybe that Marvel backed up from those plans and was a little too nervous about that. Um, the uh, Kamala has a very funny joke where she says like, did you know Ant-Man had a daughter? And um, I just, you know, you and I saw Quantumania late at night in Chicago and it was not a good time as a film. It was a good time hanging out. But um, it was a reminder to me that, oh yeah, at the end of that movie, it really felt like Ant-Man and Wasp were going to be lost forever. And then they chickened out and saved them and, and made Kang less formidable by saving them. So you were tracking this a little bit on Instagram. We have so many of the young Avengers kind of on the board to know who they would pull from is really interesting. Um, to me, there's also the potential. Um, I, again, I, I'm a little more familiar with champions, which is a newer team up, but that has miles Morales on it. And it would be great to get a miles Morales in the MCU. Yeah. Um, 
and it seems like Sony would be open to it because why have one hit Spider-Man franchise when you could have two hit Spider-Man franchises? Um, so I would love to see uh, even more people brought in, um, but there's a lot of them on the board. Who who do you, who excites you in terms of who's out there that they've already introduced? So, you know, we didn't see very much of him, but I like Kid Loki. Uh, mm-hmm. He he seem he just seems like he's got a good good and therefore bad attitude. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, he didn't have much screen time in Loki season one, but I, I, I thought that he showed potential, you know, even though I thought she didn't really belong in Wakanda forever, Ironheart, I think was a cool character. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to kind of see, I was like, I don't want to see this here, but I do want to see more of her. Like, I really wish they had just sort of launched her own show instead of trying to force her into a movie that was already kind of too long. And so the, I think, so my, if you go to my Instagram account, the, my last post was I tried to splice together photos of all these young adventure potential young adventures characters. So we've got Eli Bradley from the Falcon and Winter Soldier, who honestly, like, I don't remember him that very much. Like, he didn't have, he barely. I, I think had he any opens the door. Time. Yeah, he, he walks by. <laughs> like, it's not like, like he doesn't have any lines or anything really. Um, and and so, but like the idea of sort of like bringing that that lineage and that history, um, mm-hmm. of Isaiah Bradley kind of into into a new like a new context that would be exciting um the only one i didn't the character i didn't get a chance to put because they just wouldn't fit on the graphic that i was making was um uh thor's the the love from love thor love and thunder yeah yeah um and that actually like you know you say what you will about that movie but like that actress was pretty cute so and i think it's actually chris hensworth's daughter right so she's around i think that's right um yeah he probably is like she's available to be in your young avengers movie. um <laughs> but am i forgetting i think like oh sorry america chavez and granted like i yep. didn't really like multiverse of madness that much but i liked her in it um yeah. so yeah it's there's a lot of potential because i think you know the counter narrative i would give to all the problems people have seen with the MCU and how it's kind of floundering and like, they don't have a clear sense of narrative direction, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't necessarily disagree with any of that, but they have planted all these seeds for this, this young Avengers project uh, and, and seem to have recruited like really good talent. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think like when they said, when she says like, Oh, did you know Ant-Man had a daughter? That's actually, I was like least excited because I think quantum mania <laughs> to me was so not, not good yeah <laughs> i was just like oh but you know i'm i'd be willing to to give cassie lang a chance she seemed yeah you know, and she's, she plays yeah stature I, I don't think that name is said in the comic books but that is an established uh superhero name for her and you know Catherine newton was fun in that she's you know cute and spunky and you know the right kind of energy and you know, uh, I do think there's a problem right now where Marvel, um, like, say, a s- certain Star Wars franchise, sometimes gets too concerned with uh, making 40 and 50 year olds dudes comfortable. And if this is going to last, they need to make it younger and make it cooler and make it all those things I said a, a moment ago, because that's what people like the students we teach want to see. They don't want to see another Chris. They don't want to see, you know, um, old heroes that feel like they're from the forties and fifties. I mean, I love Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny, which has never been established on this podcast before, but I think it's failure at the box office, uh, really demonstrates like it's an old hero for an older 
group. Sure. And if you want to have a hit movie, you got to get the the young people out. And that's what Barbie proved and reminded us. And there's a lot of potential there. Um, America Chavez is a, a great call. And, and I do think there's there's potential there. Um, don't forget Ned, uh, not an established young Avenger, oh, but right. <laughs> seems to have magic powers as well. Like, I think there's a chance to to promote some of these side characters and you know, I, I actually I referenced Wong earlier. I think we all loved Wong a little bit as that kind of crossover character. And why not start having these bop around? We we had a great surprise of Valkyrie having a very brief moment in this movie, but just to kind of establish that they all know each other and and that they're all in this right, shared all universe. Part of the same I think universe. is awesome. Yeah, and it, it do you, really do works. Do you feel so. like Young Avengers, and then we should actually get back to the actual movie reviewing, I yeah, guess, yeah. of speculating <laughs> about the MCU, but like, do you feel like the Young Avengers storyline will be its own sort of, its own thing, kind of like parallel to whatever main saga were, the multiverse saga, or do you think that this is what the story is going to be, you know what I mean? Like, Or is it is it just that, because a lot of the characters we just mentioned have only appeared in Disney Plus shows, so it's like, is there just going to be a Young Avengers yeah. Disney Plus show? Or something like that. It uh, has the advantage of all the people we just named are played by actors that are not $25 million per movie, Robert Downey Jr., right? So I think it does help keep budgets down. And if they want to really continue on with Disney Plus offerings, that could be a part of that. Um, I was actually realizing there's very little confirmed that's actually coming soon in Marvel. Marvel has released Echo, the TV show. Everything else seems up in the air. The Daredevil just went through a dramatic restructuring. Um, Ironheart, uh, Agents of Wakanda. These are all things that have been announced, but uh, not really. Is it Agatha Harkness show that keeps changing names? Oh, right. Uh. Yes, that's right. And so um, (laughs) I think there's a lot out there that could still happen. But I, uh, as a good Star Wars fan, I'm skeptical of any projects that aren't actually like out out. Um, so I think the Young Avenger seems like a fun way to keep building up these characters, have them cross over more and more. Um, you know, I remember the Netflix shows model where you had Rosario Dawson as the nurse whose name I can't remember. Um, and it was like super amazing that she would just pop up in all the shows and it felt really cool. And that was a really cheap and easy way to do that. And so have these actors just pop up. I'm already forgetting, but there was a splash like a month ago where two of these actors posted together on Instagram. I want to say it was America Chavez oh. and Catherine Newton. And it was like they were just together somewhere and people were like, oh, my God, it's happening. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, it couldn't. But it it seems like this is a very viable path. Um, I do not have inside intel into Marvel, but all accounts are that they are rethinking the Kang of it all because Jonathan Majors has become so toxic and problematic as a, a public figure. So if you suddenly had to scrap a movie called Avengers King Dynasty and wanted to offer instead like Young Avengers something that would work. And, you know, the same people who are nasty about, um, you know, Captain Marvel or Wakanda movies will be nasty about Young Avengers movies because it centers women and people of color. But, you know, screw them. I, I almost said a word to get us our explicit rating, but I will avoid it and say to heck with them. Gosh, darn it to heck with them uh, because we don't need to impress them. So 
All right. Back to the Marvels proper. I want to ask you the question you wrote so nicely in your notes to ask me, which is like one of the things we have been wondering about Captain Marvel is there's this huge gap. We we know she leaves Earth in the mid 90s and she appears again um, in at the start of Endgame, which um, math is a little fuzzy on that, but appears to be sometime around 2022, 2023. So were you satisfied knowing where she'd been? Does this still just feel like a cheat and it's because they shot these out of order? I mean, I feel like functionally going forward, it probably will continue to be a cheat because, and David David Chen pointed this out both in his written review on Substack and on the Filmcast episode that, that they did on this movie. And he said, like, the MCU has basically a Superman problem in Carol Danvers, where, mm. like, she's too OP, right? She's too, like, you just bring her in and then she solves everybody's problems. And so this is why they've, like, in terms of practical reasons, why they've had to sort of, like, exile her. And then she just comes back when it's convenient, right? Um, and And I feel like, so in that sense, like, it doesn't really solve... <laughs> <laughs> what we learn here doesn't solve that problem, but it does try to explain it. And I feel like if I think about it in the context of, oh, they're just trying to explain away something that they just can't really deal with, then then it feels cheap. But if I actually think about it in the context of the emotional beats in this movie, which I feel like not enough people are kind of talking about, are pretty solid. Like in the terms of yeah. like, um, especially if you remember the relationship between uh, Carol Danvers and uh monica rambo's mother but you know it the the sort of uh two best friends right carol danvers and Ca- the original captain you know captain rambo senior and then they're the daughter right i maria feel like this movie rambo maria, thank you maria rambo and so <laughs> i feel like this movie actually does a really good job of clearly in the screenplay sort of very clearly establishing that there's pain and tension and like you know, it's so many years later, but their reunion, like they haven't talked to each other and their reunion here is like very awkward initially. And, mm. and they, they hash it out, you know what I mean? Like, and they're like, you know, we yeah. find out that Carol has been gone all this time because she was afraid to come back. Cause she feels like she had messed everything up and she didn't want to sort of expose herself as a flawed character to her, her niece. Right. Um, and and then we get the very you know it's a very cliched thing but effective I, to me at least that she's like no I just needed you right like I didn't I wouldn't have cared yeah. right uh, and so I actually I feel like all of their exchanges in this movie were pretty compelling um, in a way that like you know we we only get snippets of it because then we have to go back to the crazy like oh we're swapping bodies or <laughs> it's not really body swapping <laughs> but like we're you know we're we're no. oh like we're we're at it again these antics and then oh the flurkins are here and crazy things are happening right uh so you know i feel like the the quick pace of the movie makes it so we don't linger on those scenes but they're there the the emotional beats mm. and the character moments that they establish are there granted as i was saying at the top of the show if you haven't seen captain marvel recently i don't know if you pick up on that you know what i mean um yeah but what do you what do you think about this, Greg? Like, how, like, do, uh, do we well, learn enough about Carol as a character? It I'm going to go back to what I said before, but like it felt like a comic book issue, hmm. right? Like all the time I will pick up a comic book trade paperback or an issue and be like, wait, this character has been through some stuff. And then I will go track down where they were. Right. And that's often because like a crossover event happened. So if I bought all the Captain Marvel books, I missed, you know, 
battle of whatever whatever's that where she was with Wolverine for a, a month or two and then came back and so it had that feeling to it and I think that's to its credit now the weird thing is there's no issue to track down they leave that blank but it still kind of gave these hints about where she was and and I think David Chen's take, I don't often say this, but it's exactly right, which is it is a Superman problem. And the whole quantum entanglement is another way to deal with this and make it so she can't just use all her powers all the time, but puts a limitation on it. Um, But I didn't have a problem at all with it because it filled in that she uh, did some things right. I I actually I thought of um, I thought of Andrew Garfield in uh, No Way Home when he's like, I got dark. I got vengeful. And it's yes. like, that's what happened, right? Like, um, she, you know, and we know she hated Annette Benning. She'd seen Nyad. She wasn't a fan. No, she hated the Supreme <laughs> Intelligence as that's played by Annette Benning. Yeah, yeah. That little did people know. Um, and so, of course, she would have left after the first Captain of Marvel and gone to destroy. And the movie reminds us she told Jude Law that she was going to do that. Sorry, Yon Rog. She told him, uh, <laughs> I'm going to come and destroy it. And all of this is fallout from the fact that she got super powerful, acted out her revenge, and then had to deal with the fallout of it. And to me, that's pretty compelling storytelling. And, you know, I actually think it's probably better told this way than if we got captain marvel 2 like revenge on uh you know uh oh. or, or whatever if right we had the whole movie just about what we saw in the flashbacks you mean yeah yeah i don't think that would have been that compelling now if somebody hasn't kept up with the marvel universe they probably think there's a movie or a tv show that established <laughs> all that and we're just filling this in but i think it works to kind of say like you know these are the editor's notes from a comic book that say you know see issue 47 where carol danvers destroyed the supreme intelligence and then the second component of the long absence is the fact that it made her very lonely and one of the big differences I see between Carol Danvers in the the comics and in the films is she's very solitary in the films um, mm. because of this story they've given her. And, you know, the comic book, she has a rich life. She hangs out a lot with uh, like Jessica Drew and a lot of the other female New York superheroes. There was a shot in the trailer and it is in the final movie where the ship comes down behind the Statue of Liberty, which is not Captain America, but the real Statue of Liberty again, uh, I guess. Oh, okay. Spider-Man. Uh, but, um, in the comics, Captain Marvel lives in the Statue of Liberty's head. She has like an apartment and she hangs out with all the New York superheroes. And, uh, I kind of thought that's when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, oh, maybe we're getting her living there. And, and we did it. And so it's instead this kind of solitary life, but it's clear that the solitary life is self-imposed. It's like, you know, I did these dark things, so I, I need to go fix them all. And it's right, also it's a punishment or, yeah. 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 And I, so... So, yeah, I co-sign everything you just said. And I'll just add that, like, if anything, this made me more intrigued. Like, I actually would read, I would I would watch a short that was just about Aladna, the, like, musical planet, right? Because I feel oh, like yeah. this movie did a good job of, like, getting me interested and, like, be implying that she's had all these adventures. Like, she hasn't just been, like, sitting alone on her ship um with goose uh but she yeah but but she's yeah. actually like been doing things and and that she has this life that people doesn't that people don't really know about and uh i feel like though that scene in particular when we visit that planet suddenly i was like way more interested in her as a character and in a way that mirrors i think the other character like um kamala and 
uh, Monica's reactions, right? They're like, they're like, you did what? <laughs> uh, and they're just like, kind of like, what is happening right now? Uh, and they are, they're when the, when the two of them are standing there and I think it's Monica has like a drink in her hand and they're just kind of like rocking out and they're just like, but they're also very confused about what's happening. And they're like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. like you got married, like what is going on? And, um, and I feel like that just makes her so much more interesting because you, it implies that yes, we haven't, we just haven't seen what she's been doing. Um, and like, yeah, I would read, I would read a five comic run issue about how she got married on Aladna, and I would, I would watch like a short or like a you know limited series about that on Disney Plus. So, sure. and speaking to um, another love that we share, it feels very Doctor Who, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The Doctor yep. is forever landing on a planet and has a really deep history that we've never seen. Or that maybe we did see in the mid 70s and you haven't seen those episodes. And so I do think Marvel completionists might complain about this more. But you and I are prepped by Doctor Who and other media to be like, yeah, and it's cool because somebody could write that book or that could be a radio play or that could be a comic. And all of those would be fantastic. And it's okay to have not seen every bit of that history You to still have fun and enjoy it. And that kind of question mark of, whether it is something I should know, like, yes, Doctor Who has faced the Daleks before, right? Or if it's something where we just hear that the Doctor has faced him, this entity before, but we don't actually see it. Um, I think that works and is really fun. But I I do, I sympathize with people who would argue that that's different than what the MCU um, has been. Sure. This also gave, you know, that section of the movie in particular also gave me big Star Trek Next Generation vibes where it's oh, like, yeah. or just Star Trek in general, though Next Generation is sort of my refer- main reference point in Star-, in, mm. um, in Star Trek. And I feel like there's this one episode where Picard is just trying to go on a beach vacation and then he gets like <laughs> roped into this like Indiana Jones-esque adventure where there's like an art stolen artifact and someone's chasing other someone else and he just gets like sucked into it. And And to me, that's sort of what this feels like is like, that like Captain Marvel was just trying to chill somewhere. <laughs> and then she ended up getting married to try to solve some diplomatic problem. Um, mm. And I've heard a bunch of podcasts complaining that like, not a bunch, like maybe one or two complaining that it does it. Like why, why does she have to get married? Like, and they explain mm. it. It just they explain it very quickly where it's like, no, no, she, she didn't like, she, she consented to getting married. It wasn't like some weird, creepy, like, yeah i don't know coercion or something like that it was it was that the society she describes the society as matriarchal and that there was like a power vacuum and so that she had to marry the prince to sort of legitimize him and then allow him to rule the planet that was my understanding of it they go through it super quickly so i, I totally understand that people miss that part but like um i'm like it all makes sense people <laughs> yeah i I, um, I think that's right it's it's it was the heroic action this planet needed was somebody to empower the prince to to rule. And that's what she did here and would have done if it was a planet of like fuzzball Wookiees or something or whatever, right? Like just does what needs to be done. And, and I agree. I don't, and certainly the fact that it wasn't like a prince who's actually in love with her or she was secretly in love with the prince, like super handsome guy. There's kind of a like, wow moment uh, when he walks on screen from the other women. But it, it is also like, yeah, they both understand exactly what this is and what it needed to be. And they're going to the act as a 
a part of that. I think the downside I saw to the structure of that middle portion is then they just leave and it's like, we mm. just need to go. And it's like, oh, like, is that society? Right, so what happens to that out? planet is the problem. Yeah, yeah, we just don't know. And and I can understand the choices made, but that's where I think I would spend, you know, five more minutes tracing down that and figure out how to weave it back into the story, perhaps, as right. a part of this. Right, because the whole point is she wants to stay because she has an attachment to this planet. And then yeah. Kamala is actually the one who's like, no, you just did this to me on the last planet. We got to go. Right. Like yep. we have to do what we can and like we can't do anything else here. So we have to go. Um, yeah. And I yeah, I also really liked that back and forth between them about like Kamala. Because this is her first time in the big leagues. Right. Or at least that's what they imply. Mm. And so her learning that you can't save everyone and kind of coming coming to terms with the reality of being a superhero and sort of the cost of that. And again, it was yeah. it's not in a lot of the movie, but there was enough there for me that I was like, yes, like this screenplay has thought about how these three characters kind of like are different from each other and what sort of arc they are on and how those arcs are converging with them interacting with each other to the point where like at the end where they're like, oh, I guess we're not entangled anymore. And they're actually all kind of bummed out by that. I thought that felt yeah. earned to me. That felt like, yes, they've bonded so much through the course of this adventure in this movie that that they are now sort of like a little disappointed that they don't have an excuse to hang out with each other anymore right well i would just extend what you said to say it really did take all three of these characters very seriously on their own terms and that's a credit because a team-up movie it's easy to undercut some of them and i will transition to my favorite aspect of this movie which is they remembered the rest of Kamala's family. And that was a highlight of the, the Miss Marvel series is that, you know, the comic does this as well, but they make it very much a teenager and her parents and the parents matter. And they take the parents' religion seriously. They take their household rules seriously while still having the fun of like the teenager sneaking out and all that. And I was worried that in the mix and, you know, the trailer made it clear they were in it at least a little bit. I thought it was going to be like, see you later, mom and dad or uh, beta. Uh, but they took them all really seriously and they were around a lot of it and were hilarious and got good <laughs> character beats and got to be the like heavy parents. But they're not the kind of like, don't go son type parents that comic books are familiar with. They understand honor and duty and uh, they trust their daughter. And it's just like super compelling and super fun. You know, it was a little bit of stretch where it was like, they need to come to the space station. It's like, all right, you just want them to <laughs> like, still be in this they? movie. <laughs> yeah. Like let's put them in safety in the most dangerous spot in the the film. So um, also so there's super a funny, like, but I also the counterpoint to that is like, I feel like what we learn about the type of parents that they are, especially her mom is like, mm. no, nothing is stopping her from getting on that space station. So she can keep a close eye on yeah. her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that, I that was believable to me plot wise. No, they didn't really need to be there at all. But in terms of character, I felt like, yes, like they would be the types of parents to be like, not her mom seems to not really care that Nick Fury is Nick Fury, right? Like she, she's just, yes. like, she's like giving it back to him. And in a way that's really, really funny, um, telling yeah. him like, like you, you should stop feeding goose. Right. <laughs> like, uh, oh, it's so good. 
Well, and I want to give a shout out to uh, the actress who plays uh, uh, Muniba Khan is Zenobia Shroff. Um, just a fantastic actress. Um, I first came to know her in um, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon's movie, The Big Sick, uh, which yep, that's right. is fantastic. She plays Kumail's mom and is really good in that as well. And so I've just been excited to see her in this role and and expand on the comics role. And real highlight of the show for me, I, I think my letterbox review of the Marvels was that these are my favorite characters in the MCU. And it's like, that that's not, it, it's a joke, but it's not 100% a lie as a part of that yeah um, and, and they, then, didn't, they uh, didn't drag it down like they were we were joking that they didn't really need to be there but they they could hang you know what i mean like they were yeah. they were going rolling with it and kind of going with the flow making jokes it, it to me it made it made total sense and i feel like they only added to the the enjoyment of the movie well and in the opening they were fighting like they were oh, like right. really taking on and um so that would be on my list of like things i loved about this movie that i absolutely have to talk about the opening fight scene which is once they establish the quantum entanglement um there is a masterfully edited sequence i've heard some people criticize the editing of this film you can argue about the story editing and some of those choices screenplay editing who knows but the editing of the fight scene where they're jumping between the three characters and they're moving through three different settings and there's uh the the music uh sounded to me like it was a, a pakistani rapper i i didn't look it up to see who it was but it it was the music kamala was listening to in her room yeah. so it's like a fast-paced rap song in another language so i i assumed pakistani given it was kamala and um it's so good and the fighting is really well choreographed and given all the complexity of that, it's like masterful how I followed all of it and the fun of like having these characters jump through and each of them reacting to like, then we jump back to the living room and the cons have a, a alien like battered under a couch. <laughs> and then they jump back to Nick Fury in the elevator. And it, he, he's it like chained up with like bike well. locks or something. Like it's really funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it, so it, you know, I think, again, I was nervous walking in. And then the first maybe 10 minutes, I was like, oh, I don't know. There's a lot here that's confusing. As soon as that music kicked in, I was like, we are in really good hands. And, you know, not knowing who exactly deserves all the credit, I'll just credit the director. Um, you know, she's gotten some flack online because she apparently in the eight months of pre-production eventually had to move on and start her next movie. Uh, uh, so her name is Nia DaCosta and, um, you know, did direct Candyman uh, in 2021, which is a horror movie I saw. And it was not bad. I, I'm not a huge horror guy, but, um, you know, very well told him and lots of cool shots. And, um, you know, who knows in the Marvel machine um, who's responsible for what, but this was, you know, generally well-directed. Any problems I had with it tended to be on a script level more than direction. Um, and I think they found some really inventive shots in it. So kudos to that. Yeah. And the thing I would add to that, my favorite scene is when they're, they're like training montage on Carol's ship. Uh, just like, cause they're all in like their pajamas and <laughs> <laughs> like like and and they're like okay and they, there's like a jump rope like just like the the it's just i don't know it's just really funny and enjoyable how they're like kind of like trying to get good at and then the idea that like kamala is always the one who like can't can't jump right she's like no like <laughs> i'll go next time next time right and she can't get in there um and i feel like yeah this movie really captured sort of the differences in their personalities really well uh mm. in a way that i really enjoyed but yeah that to me i would i would pair that scene because it's really hard to edit 
the instantaneous swapping in a way that is coherent i feel like in terms of action yeah. and so i would i was also really impressed with that um i do agree that the like it, yeah to me it's like all the captain marvel hold, holdovers plot wise are really what makes the editing in this movie clunky like anytime we're kind of going back and forth between like oh like you know the flashback from of her uh destroying the the supreme intelligence and then oh we're going back to the ship yeah. right like like all of that stuff kind of felt like it was a little off um but i feel like that's because they're like kind of different because like captain marvel in terms of its tone is very different than the marvels and so i feel like that's yeah. that's more the disconnect is that like we're kind of using the plot like this is a seek because the, as i said at the top of the show this is supposed to be a sequel to captain marvel but it's also this team up fun team up movie and so like I feel like that's kind of where there's fr friction uh, that we see in terms of the movie. Um, but yeah. Well, and I would just say that's not that different than Iron Man. Or no, sorry, Captain America 3, which is Civil War, oh, true. right? And Civil War has that same burden of it really is trying to be Captain America 3 while also being this kind of crazy crossover team up. And, you know, some people joke that that's really an Avengers movie. And, and I can see that, but it tries really hard to still assert that Captain America is the focus and his arc with Bucky and so on. And I think that you nailed it, which is that's what this is trying to do and is not quite as successful. And then you throw in, you already alluded to it, but this opening with the villain who we don't understand who she is. I still don't quite understand why she seemed to have Ronan's hammer. Is she the like, uh, you know, Ronan, the Well, because they're both Kree. Right. Right. And, and they so, call it the universal, the universal weapon or something like that. Like it has a name. And so it's yes. the same one, right? And so Ronan in Guardians 1 put the power stone in it. And that gave it purple glowy powers. And there is purple oh, glowy powers in it. So it seems to, to your point, be the same one. But why would that have hung out? And why would that still have purple glowy powers? Um, because... I, you I mean, know. the short answer is I don't know, but and it doesn't totally make sense. But if I had to try to find an explanation, it's like they kind of describe her as in the power vacuum of the supreme intelligence being gone, that she was the one who sort of rose up as like the new yeah. leader. And so maybe because of that, she inherited the weapon in some way. I don't know. But yeah, the thing is, like, OK, so the, her backstory. Yes, we get that. She's like one of the people who was who was affected and her she watched her planet get destroyed basically by carol and so like in that it nominally that makes sense but in the movie and this is our first time seeing her that's the thing is like we haven't she hasn't we don't learn about her in any other context like this is our first time meeting her and literally the only thing we see is a flashback of her falling over <laughs> like literally that's like that's like that's yeah. her backstory is like she was there and she like fell over because yep. some rubble fell on her and then now we're supposed to totally understand that she's like the the, spe the specific person who needs to be captain marvel's arch nemesis right like yeah when they really position her as just like a bystander kind of like i don't know it's just yeah it's just weird and it's just it's not enough whatever whatever it is they were trying to do it's not enough to get me to care they don't I think part of it is like they don't actually give her enough lines. Like I kept waiting for her to have the villain monologue of like you came to my planet and he, but instead they just kind of keep mm -hmm. calling she keeps calling Carol the annihilator and that's it. We don't yeah. actually get any more than that. And so I think yeah, I think underwritten is what I said earlier and I stand by that. It's like 
in a different screenplay, she could have been okay <laughs> as a villain. Well, and, um, and I don't, I'm going to agree with you that we can't actually answer these questions, but there's also just giant timeline questions because Ronan is around in Captain Marvel, but is destroyed in Guardians 1, which would be seemingly he would have been around after the destruction of the Supreme Intelligence. And so, like, it just doesn't quite make sense when she rose to power and why there was a vacuum and when that would have been. Um, yeah, so so I think that plus it's just a little less of a wow. I will say my disappointment was in the final confrontation and fight in her spaceship. Um, we got a few good action sequences and there's some really neat shots of the three of them doing the, the quantum swapping, but it didn't live up to that first one to me, despite their training montage. I was like, Oh, it, it just doesn't quite feel that big. And I think part of it is the villain issue. It's like, well, okay, so kill this lady. Do I want you to kill this lady? Like she's doing bad things, but seems kind of sympathetic. And so that kind of is probably where I was the sourest on it. Um, but then, um, you know, that's the Marvel third act problem oftentimes, right? Like it's something sure. crazy CG is happening and I don't really care. I just want to see the end of it and see what my post-credit goodies are. Well, and in that third act, we spend more time losing Monica in that rift mm -hmm. than we do yep. fighting Darben, really. Um, yeah. which again is a bigger problem of it trying to do too many things, right? Cause it's presumably setting up that mid credit sequence that then maybe probably question mark is setting up another movie, right. In which we return to Monica in that alternate universe, uh, and then see, and we see finally what the get deal to is with that, right. Brett Goldstein's Hercules and Harry Styles, brother of Thanos, right? Like oh. that, I think that's part of Marvel fatigue is we've now seen a lot of these promises go unrealized. Like, sure. I don't think we're getting Eternals too. I don't think we're going to see that. Like, so like, where are we, where is this going and how can we fold this in? So, um, but you're right. And you know, the loss of the character means a lot more, um, I then will say we cut to, I guess, um, Carol moving into the house in Louisiana. Although it, you could tell me it was the cons moving in there. And I would believe, I think believe they're it. all moving in there. It kind of like, and then it's like, I, you know, I don't know. Cause their house is destroyed. Yeah. Right. But you, their well, house got you destroyed take, in the fight. I, I will riot if they take Ms. Marvel out of Jersey city. That is such a core part of her. So, okay, so maybe, um, yeah, I couldn't tell that either. Like, cause because it's either they're helping her move in, yeah, and like unpack her when stuff. When you're moving to Louisiana, like you call your room. friends from Jersey to help. <laughs> um, you know that's that's what you do. But I, it's unclear. Um, so Sam, isn't Sam Wilson hanging out? Doesn't his family live in Louisiana? Yeah, that's that's new canon from the show because Anthony Mackie is there. So yeah, and Harrison so, Ford's kicking around somewhere, waiting to hang out with Anthony Mackie and be the new Thunderbolt. Oh, so. that's true. Oh, yeah. is that movie ever coming out? Like what? Oh, that's okay. one of the ones that got bumped to 2025. So, oh, okay. Um, but, you know, I think this is exactly right to say this is the success and failure of this movie is that it's really good on its own, but it can escape the, the entanglements in the MCU and the kind of fatigue or broken promises that we're all feeling. So, you know, I still say go see it. I'm going to go see it again. It's easy because it's 90 minutes and it, it'll be a fun time. But, uh, you know, if you're if if you're really down on the kind of Marvel project, this probably won't convince you to to give up. I'm talking to you, PT, who didn't get this far. 
<laughs> someday, someday, like in two years, he'll come back and watch <laughs> this, I guess. Half My watch. other complaint is that like secret inva- invasion like doesn't make any sense in the context of this movie. Because you, the scrolls you are just, just like doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, sure, sure, but like <laughs> makes less sense. Or like this movie, this movie doesn't make sense if you ca- account for a secret invasion, right? Because like mm-hmm. the scroll, first of all, there are scrolls that found another planet to live on, so that doesn't make yep. any sense. Because the whole thing about secret invasion was they have nowhere else to go, and they've been waiting on Captain Marvel and Nick Fury to find them another planet, and boom, they're mm-hmm. on another planet. So like, what's going on with that? And then, <laughs> and then the other thing is that like. Like Valkyrie shows up and just whisks them away to new Asgard. Why could we not do that for the other set of scrolls in secret mm. invasion? Yeah. Make uh, it make sense. I don't know. I, I feel like these were supposed to come in the opposite order, right? Not that that necessarily oh. heals it, but I think, you know, I always heard that they were rushing secret invasion out because it had to kind of reset Nick Fury. Nick Fury does not feel like the guy we met in Secret Invasion at all. And, you know, if I want to be generous to Marvel, that happens with the comic series too, right? Like one creator takes on, but it really feels like Secret Invasion is going to be remembered as this outlier that they just thought they had a kind of cool idea. I'm still mad that it was a waste of Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark and, you know, even Samuel L. Jackson. It's like, there's so much talent there and and you got them to sign on to one of these projects. Um, Kingsley Benadire. Kingsley Benadire. I was trying to, I'm like Bridgerton guy. Uh, but uh, yes. Um, <laughs> no, that's so, the dragons. <laughs> oh, dang it. I always get those two actors mixed up. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. And it's like, yeah, none of that seemed to make any difference. And, Again, you're supposed to think with all of this, like there's also a colony working out in, um, you know, uh, Russia somewhere. And and I don't even know. And why wouldn't um, uh, Ben well, also, Mendelsohn like, just... be there? <laughs> so. Right. I don't know. And like you could argue that this group of scrolls is totally separate than, you know, the the scrolls that we are, are on Earth. But at the same time, like, the political climate by the end of Secret Invasion is not good for scrolls, right? There's like a war yeah. that's been declared on the scrolls. And so the idea that Valkyrie would just be like, come with me to Earth, no big deal. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously As- New Asgard is sort of like hidden. No, maybe I'm thinking Wonder Woman. Like, can can normies get right. to New Asgard? Yeah. Or is it's it a, like it's a, um No, it's, it's a, a tourist it's destination, a tour- isn't it? A destination, because okay. Jane yeah, can just so, like, travel there can... to see the hammer and yeah. Right. So like, I don't know. So this isn't, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and I usually am not one who's like up in arms about things not making sense. Like I'm usually pretty like, yeah, just go with the flow. But this seemed so incongruous that I'm like, how did they think that this was going to, this was supposed to kind of go together. Even if you swap the order in which we have these things happen in the timeline, it still doesn't yeah. totally make as much sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think there's no answer in that. That's exactly why some people are are done with this. And, you know, you could I think we both were much more positive on Loki than Secret Invasion. But you could argue, like, shouldn't like all of this be affected by what Loki's up to? And and it's it's just that the MCU is in a more separated stage than, you know, the earlier phases. And people might not like that as much, but it's it's where we are. Sure. It is. Uh, where we are is the rhetorical situation, uh, a segment in which we look at a film through the lens of our academic experience. Uh, 
So in the teaching of writing, the rhetorical situation refers to any contextual factors that influence composing and interpretation. There's a lot of contextual baggage, I think, <laughs> hanging around this film. Because, as I mentioned sort of at the very beginning of the show, like so many, and not just critics, but like fandom, right? So many people are just sort of like constantly lamenting the state of the MCU. And like, you know, people kept waiting for the MCU to kind of bounce back. They're like, oh, like every movie since Endgame has been like not that good or like, you know, what are we doing? So there's a lot of doubt that's kind of hanging around. And so my big question is like, this movie is tanking at the box office. It's coming in way under what it was supposed to. And actually, even I remember before the movie came out, the expectation of like the focus groups and however they calculate box office projections, that was already under expectations. And now it is underperforming under that. So it's like, and the, the movie cost $200 million. It only made $47 million in its opening weekend. Like the general consensus is like, that is not good. It's not doing well. So what is what does this mean like is like what is that a reflection of do you think because we just spent so a bunch of time I, talking about how we like this movie so like. yeah yeah um so when i introduced rhetorical situation to my class um i steal a page out of uh berger's essay which i know you've read uh called ways of seeing and um uh so in berger's essay he puts up uh the last painting van gogh ever um uh created and says like you know think about this painting think about what it depicts and then on the next page he puts it up again and says this is the last painting van gogh created before he killed himself and it's like you can never unsee that image without that context anymore and this is part of berger's larger argument and so i use this to present to my students that when we were look at a work we can either consider the content or the context and that the history of kind of discourse is swinging back and forth between those two poles. Sometimes we really judge a work based purely on what's in it. That would be like what the modernists did in the forties and fifties, or maybe a little earlier than that. And other times we say, no, it doesn't matter what's actually in the thing. It matters that it was created and who created it and what that meant. Right. Um, I studied 19th century American literature. I can't judge a slave narrative on the exact same frameworks as I do the, the great romantic poets of of britain because it's such a different context and you have to understand the the triumph it is just to know language and have literacy if you're an enslaved person so um so i think if you and i if i've measured this conversation if we are on the content side we are way positive on what this movie was actually in but if we swing way back to the context like this is going to be a very disappointing mcu movie for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with what it is it is suffering, I would say, from a two-pronged attack. What is the the uh, tenant thing? A temporal pincher move of uh, <laughs> nasty uh, internet trolls who absolutely are bad actors and are misogynist and just want to see a movie fail because they're anti-woke warriors. Throw in any more buzzwords from awful corners of the internet you want. And then also just MCU fatigue because I know a lot of people who you will know say they love marvel and are diehards but are like yeah but i need a little break and i'll catch it on disney plus and this brand dilution that's happened we've seen that it happened to pixar and it happened uh to marvel it probably happened to star wars but there hasn't been a film in theaters in long enough for us to be able to tell that but i think in the grand scheme of things the disney plus experiment really hurt these brands and changed how people understand going to see them in the theater Right, which to me is so counterintuitive or surprising because 
as a fan, I I would assume that I have an infinite capacity for consumption. Uh, but that I think it's more the scaling of production and then quality that seems to be the issue, right? That they try to get too big too fast, right? There was a huge demand mm-hmm. on Disney Plus, right? And Joanna Robinson talks about this in uh, her new book, the MCU, the rain is the rain of Marvel studios. I think it's called. Um, and you know, it's like the idea that like the, it, the, the infinity saga ending kind of time-wise coincided with Disney Plus's conception. And they were like, well, we need to pump out lots of content because we have this, this streaming platform now. And that caused them to just like scale production to the point where they couldn't handle it anymore. Right. Where it's like quality yeah. was suffering because there was too much quantity. Um, you know, it's more complicated than that, too, but that's essentially what it is. And so it feels like it was such a it, to me, it just feels like a really missed opportunity because I feel like there was a way in which people wouldn't be at this point where they would have Marvel fatigue. Mm. And I think part of it's also to just miscommunication, because if they thought they were going to spend phase four and phase five, just like playing around with stuff to see what sticks and then regroup to sort of reset going into like the next Infinity Saga, basically, which presumably is what the multiverse saga is but we don't we don't have yeah. any evidence of that yet i think it's maybe the <laughs> problem um that we're working towards something and that's been people's main complaint about the mcu is that it maybe maybe an individual movie here or there is good on its own but that the the machine of the story machine has slowed and stopped and is sputtering right um people don't quite know where it's going to go next um and if if that had been properly managed in terms of setting our expectations, uh, so we wouldn't expect just oh we're starting again, <laughs> right after Endgame, yeah. then I feel like the context would be different. So it's yeah it's like yeah it's a weird confluence of a bunch of things. Um, but the thing that's really upsetting me about this movie, this movie, the Marvels specifically, is that I am really worried that its failure. This, this, you know, that Disney and Marvel is going to take the wrong lesson because we've seen that so many times with other studios where like, you know, everyone's talking about this with Barbie, right? Where, you know, um, Warner Brothers is like, great, here's a hundred other move, toy toy IP movies, <laughs> right? And then I yep. think it's, um, oh, who said someone had a really good quote in the press that after that, um, I think it's Randall Park being like, no dummies, like, People want <laughs> quality movies about women. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. Like, yeah. we don't want toy movies. That's besides the point. Um, this just happened to be a good movie that was about, that ha- or this is a good movie about women that happened to be about toys also. Um, and so I feel like there could be the similar thing here in reverse where they're like, going to be like, oh, see, this is proof that like people don't want superhero movies with women in the leads, right? And the same thing happened. Well, well, even more so because Captain Marvel at least had the box office to back it up, right? Yeah, this does. This isn't even going to have that. So, and so, like, that's just making me sad. That like, what if we never, if we never have a movie or a series with these three characters in it again? Like, that's upsetting to me. Well, and it reminds me of fairly recent Kathleen Kennedy quote where she's like, clearly the problem with Solo was that we recast Han Solo and nobody wants us to recast these actors. So we will have CG Mark Hamill forever. And it's like, no, that had nothing to do with it. It was (laughs) too much too quick. It was a kind of silly plot, but it wasn't like nobody cared about Alden Ehrenreich being Han Solo. Right. Um, And I I think that was Randall Park. And it's like, yeah, just hire good creators and trust them. And, And I think Marvel, uh, say there was like a giant 
let's call it a loom of Marvel production <laughs> that was feeding infinite works in at one end and had to pass through, say, a Kevin Feige type figure. The loom wasn't capable of keeping up with that and he wasn't able to put his stamp on it. I think there's no doubt that he's a brilliant producer and he understands story really well and movies really well. But because all of that got rushed out, I'm just agreeing with everything you said, but I would add specifically for fans, a lot of people got really burned by a lot of these shows. Um, I know, I think you and I would put Loki and probably WandaVision and the like top tier. These are slam dunk, perfect Marvel projects. Maybe just below that would be Ms. Marvel you and I might put She-Hulk up there, but I don't think we'd be have a lot of company uh, putting She-Hulk kind of high. And then, like, I loved Ca- uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. It didn't stick its landing. Secret Invasion was just terrible. And, like, all the other ones you can name just didn't quite get there. And so people Moon Knight, who are Moon Knight had look, such promise oh, and didn't Moon deliver. Knight. Yeah, I totally forgot about <laughs> Moon Knight. How do you, how do you put... How do you cast Oscar Isaac in a series and then uh, mess it up? Like I just uh, yeah, like um, put him in an X Men movie and that'll oh uh, wait oh. what? Uh, so uh, <laughs> but you, you know and so people tried these shows they got burned and so the brand is tarnished and I I do think they have to recover from that and you know I also um, I did hear uh, Jeff Kanata brought this up on uh, the film cast in response to the Variety article that talked about all the internal problems at at Marvel and it's like let's just leave the infinity saga as what it was and celebrate the fact that that got made. Like that, that podcast always talks about like at the end of the day, it's amazing. Any movie gets made. And if it's a good movie, that's an extra miracle. We had something incredibly special. And I think if we're going to celebrate the, the Marvel universe moving forward, we just have to acknowledge we're not going to be there again, but we can still have a good time at the movies and some work and some don't. And, and that's, that's okay. Now, um, the problem here, though, is the bad actors about Brie Larson. And as best I can figure from Internet archaeology, it goes back to the press tour for the first Marvel movie where she made the, I would say, fair and innocuous comment that there should be more female superheroes and more women reviewing them. And that pissed off a lot of male critics who burned her and burned there. And then that inspired any jabroni on the internet to take off and and yell at her and you know i go back to the fact that you know i i i think they all have like they're like so deeply attracted to her and that they all are so fully rejected by her is like the toxic combination that just activates like lizard brain and these gross dudes and so like the fact that the marvels didn't perform at the weekend gives them a w they're all on the internet being like yep we knew it because because she's awful and that's what you get. Go woke, go broke. And it's absolutely not that, right? It's it's all the the influence we thought about. So, you know, I think I think we both get angry whatever gross dudes get a, a W. And so this is just another case of that. And the last thing I'll say on it though is I, I don't hang out on Twitter anymore because that's a dumpster fire I'm not interested in. But I am on <laughs> threads, and threads has been unbelievably positive about this movie or is only serving me positive takes on it. So I do think the people who actually saw it and not just the people who saw the trailer and decided they knew what it meant, um, really like it. And, you know, I don't think anybody said it's perfect, but, um, I, I, even PT said, Hey, the word of mouth is pretty good. I should check this out. So, 
You think they can uh, turn it around? A, to be a billion dollar movie? No, right? No. But I do think But at least I, to like not lose money. <laughs> I would call it the elemental path, right? Elemental came mm. out and got that Monday morning set of articles that's like elemental is a flop and nobody cares. And then it just kind of kept cooking all summer in a market where there weren't a lot of kids' movies and kind of ends up being a success uh, in the box office and a success story. The problem for the Marvels is it got around to bad headlines and it's not an empty next couple months. Uh, I think Hunger Games is out on Thursday, which will, you know, a lot of that teen audience you need to sign on will go see Hunger Games instead because they feel good about those movies. Um, and then it's award season. So I, I think it's not going to get the same benefit. Um, but I think it will, the, if you can't be commercially successful, then you want to be the film that where people are like, Hey, you know, that was pretty great. Why did people hate this? Right. And, and Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, once it arrives on streaming, I expect a lot of those reactions, um, to it. I also think it's just really interesting that people are just primed to be disappointed in Marvel movies now. Because that mm. is the dominant narrative. And I think, and that's sort of my, my original question in the, the Google Doc and this further rhetorical situation was mainly trying to get at that to be like, is that the problem now? Is the problem that the the discourse has has swung towards Marvel's bad now, Marvel's failing now, and we're just looking, people are just looking for reasons to, like, or looking for cases to point to to back that idea up that they're not actually watching the movie for it's on its own terms anymore and which is i feel like that's very problematic just from in terms of critical discourse and sort of like the reception of movies now and so like that if that's the case if everything that comes out from marvel now people are going to be ready to hate it or just ready to say that's bad and ready to say oh look see here's more evidence or they're still they're still failing or they they can't get it together like marvel's dead right I feel like the most extreme people are declaring that like, like they're never going to come back. They're never, they've sort of like fallen from grace kind of. And if that's the case, then like, what would they, what would possibly happen to turn this around? I guess would be my question then if people are just going to keep finding reasons to ding these movies, even if they're like pretty good, then like, what would it take? Would it just take like a movie so mind blowing and Oscar winning or something like that, that, that no one can argue against it. Jen, let me take you back in time to 1999 and a little movie called <laughs> The Phantom Menace. Uh, because what you're describing <laughs> is what Star Wars fandom went through, right? Oh, that's true. Like Star Wars was bad, period, full stop, from about 1999 to 2015. So then when it came back and <laughs> Star Wars took a break, uh, that's that's how we recovered from it, right? So I do think maybe the solution is to slow down a little bit and maybe Mm. this kind of strike imposed break will let the quality tick back up, but you have to get that same spirit of you're missing out if you have not kept up with this or if you're not seeing the new things. And that is tricky because the burden of now 30 something films feels really heavy and we're not locked in our houses anymore. So nobody wants to catch up on all those things. So it's going to be really, really tough, but it's also okay if it doesn't get back to those levels, right? Um, Where I want to extend what you said, critics are not only saying Marvel's over, but like superheroes are over. And so I think that's really hard for James Gunn, who is taking a tarnished brand in a tarnished genre and is charged with rejuvenating it all. And these mm. trailers for Aquaman are not going to help with that. And so, like, I 
I think it's a really hard moment and it is a moment where it's going to be that superhero films are like Westerns have had their moment and retreat and something else comes out, or it's going to be that, you know, um, there's some still some good ones every once in a while. Right. I I think of unforgiven in the nineties, great Western that surprised everybody and could still be around. And maybe that's where we are, right? That every once in a while we'll get a good one. But otherwise, these are like the inoffensive Liam Neeson action movie where you're like, oh, it came out. I'm sure it was fun for people who saw it, but I didn't need to see it. (laughs) So it actually sounds like maybe the answer is them just breaking continuity altogether and letting it go, right? And being like, and not doing a hard reset and making a big deal out of it and announcing you know, we are now done. We are starting over. We're rebooting the MCU. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But it seems like their focus should be less on how do we keep the Jenga tower from falling from in terms of narrative continuity. And let's just focus on building like a, a sound structure within one thing. Right. Like and focus yeah. on telling individual stories that work really well and not worry as much about how they fit into the larger puzzle and i'm sad because i've largely enjoyed the marvel experiment in terms of like transmedia storytelling and all that sort of stuff and and i like you know this i would say the same thing of star wars now like i really like following the breadcrumbs and being like oh this shows up in this and this like that for me is like really enjoyable but i totally understand that for a mainstream audience that that maybe they're tired of that and they don't want to do that anymore (laughs) yeah um so maybe we just need to let go of the whole thing and and just focus on individual stories that work but who knows? We're not kidding. I, I have faith that they can turn it around. I don't really totally know what it would take at this point, but I think and it sounds like they're trying, right? Because the press narrative that they're putting out there, there's been two articles so far that are like on the one hand leaking things that happened that are not don't look good, but at the same time being like, mm. so therefore we're just going back to the drawing board. We're pulling this like we're like we're recognizing this yeah. is not working and going back to the drawing board. Um, so hopefully that's they not just... just for show. They just wasted a lot of money because they had filmed like half a season of Daredevil. And yeah, they said, no, it's not up to our quality standards. We're going to reset this. Um, You don't do that with a company you don't care about anymore. They care. They want to recover the brand. Um, And, you know, I think they'll I think they will find a way to get the quality back, whether or not that means the critics and the box office success. We also just need to note, you know, uh, we got to get these numbers down. We got to make movies more cheaply and that will help with all of this. Right. Uh, you know, some people say Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny is a failure because that had a larded down budget, right? Like if that had come in kind of cheaply and been like, a you know, even just a $150 million movie, it would have done great. But the fact that it was 300 million, it really had to be a, a mega hit. And I think mission impossible suffered with this. And I think, um, you know, I, I've not seen a final budget for the Marvels, but it had so many reshoots and also had pandemic concerns. Like, I feel like the budget is inflated for that. So, yeah, um, yeah get those down and, and we can still find a way to, to have fun. Um, and then the other thing I say is if you're a Marvel fan, just go see the movie. Right. Like, what is what is a, a night yeah. out? 20 bucks. Still here? Like, just go. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, it's and a good I think time. That's where where I'll be. And it's like, if I don't like one of these, like, you know, I didn't love quantum mania. I still showed up for guardians and I liked guardians a lot. And I liked this one a lot. So um, I think it'll be kind of inoffensive, fun entertainment, no matter what. 
my plea to Marvel at this point would be please keep making movies for crazy cat lady nerd girls because that that's <laughs> I that really felt seen in this movie in a way I wasn't expecting. Um and yeah, with music with musicals, musicals and cats eating people. Oh yeah. Like, like it's just it's really it's really checking a lot of boxes for me. It's just like... one of the all time brilliant needle drops when the cat song starts and you're like, yes. no, no, are they it's... doing this? Are they really doing this? And it it's it totally so worked for me. I I would totally uh, uh, understand somebody who's like, yeah, I didn't like any of that, but it was really right. funny. And it's too weird, I... but it's so funny. I, I found it so funny, and like I knew, I mean, I had seen lots of uh, promotional materials that had lots of flurkins running around, so I kind of knew that this was a possibility. But for me, it was the second Kamala's mom is like, "You should stop feeding that cat. It's looking a little pudgy." And then I was like, <laughs> "Goose is pregnant." And then, and then uh... when when they discover the egg, I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Hundred percent. There's gonna be baby flurkins. I think I turned to John and I was like, "Baby flurkins," and he was like, "Oh." <laughs> um, oh. And and yeah, it really that really delivered. And, and just <laughs> like it's like a horror movie where there are jump scares with like cute kittens and that then then swallow people. Yeah. And it's just it's great. It's great. And like um, totally fun physics for the like in the plot, it solved a problem and it yes. worked. Like let's cram everybody <laughs> inside. Like they'd established that people could be swallowed and survive and that the kind of transportation yep. it was like, oh, like this with the hairball mechanic yeah. movie mechanics perfectly. And and it's so, and it so if people that. don't know if they're not up on their flurkin biology, the, the flurkins contain a pocket dimension. So they're like tiny furry tardises, basically. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's why it works. That's like, that's why it checks out. I mean, it doesn't really need to check out on that level, but that's why it's because they, because they're, they're bigger on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but apparently don't digest anybody when they're in there. Like that was the thing I didn't know. And I was like, huh, okay. Like, I guess they're all those people we saw goose eating before. Cause like, Right, because they show goose eating people in the yes. Captain Marvel. But right? I, I kind of thought there's like they could choose, right? Like, um, oh, right, know. right. Like they could digest and could swallow, uh, but goose swallows the the uh, the con's the tesseract, couch. Right? Well, oh well, yes, but in this Marvel, one, the yeah. couch, and then it has made a nest out of the couch. So it's like even yeah, there. Right. He didn't eat the couch. He just like collected it like a, a bird yeah. or, or something to make a, a nest. Like Mary Poppins um, put something in her bag. It's like, you know, just saving it for yeah. later. So it's a lot practical. of fun. People should go see this. That's that's the lesson. Yeah. Um. So we are we are skipping Oscars watch uh, because we're pretty sure that this doesn't have any Oscars prospects. Not even usually Marvel movies only have a chance unless you're like a Black Panther or something in visual effects. Uh, and this this one doesn't really have visual effects that are noteworthy enough. And if anything, if if that's happening, it's happening with Guardians Volume Three, I think, because the, the effects yeah, in that and, are like it, really impressive. And basically, as soon as a prestige movie gets one of those nominations, you're like, they're going to take it from the Marvel or Star Wars movies. And where we have Oppenheimer and Napoleon and oh, it's true, uh, it's a crowded field. And a, a couple others, I think it's going to be very limited how many blockbusters get into visual effects. So, but that's okay because right. sometimes we like to do popcorn movies and enjoy that, even if one of our eyes is still watching the Oscar race. Sure. Yeah. And as a podcast, we both. <laughs> 
love and respect Marty for his anti-Marvel takes, and we love Marvel <laughs> movies. So it's like we are we we contain multitudes. <laughs> yeah, inside our mu- movie viewing is a small pocket dimension with endless time and space where you can just enjoy everything and not worry about judgment. Welcome to the long take. <laughs> that actually sounds kind of nice if it didn't involve getting <laughs> swallowed by something. Um, all right, so Greg, where can people? find all the great work that you do and and find you on the internet uh primarily they can go to ioncanon.com that's e-y-e-o-n-c-a-n-o-n dot com that links to my Substack, which also contains links to uh my podcast projects um i just posted a a fairly new blog entry about uh the star wars high republic which is coming back oh tomorrow as we record this and i need to rush out and buy a, a novel first thing um and so it's some thoughts about what live action star wars should learn from the high republic and uh then i have uh lots of other projects going on i was on coffee with kenobi last week uh i continue to co-host through the glass columns and uh i appear on the long take review podcast my favorite place of all to appear on the internet so thanks for having me on and uh please uh people should uh share their thoughts with us on social media Get just yell at PT how wrong and I how wrong Jen and I were, and give PT the satisfaction of like reporting to us. Uh, Instagram said uh, whatever. So <laughs> thanks everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can find me at Subchakchai S O P C H O C K C H A I on Instagram and Threads. Especially if you want to go see that like graphic that I threw together with all the Young Avengers minus mm. uh, Thor's daughter and. Um, you can also read my written reviews. So I, we just finished up Loki, which I'm really impressed. We only managed to talk about that, mention that mm. like once and very obtusely uh, <laughs> in this, <laughs> in this whole review, but Loki season two just wrapped up. I had weekly reviews of all those episodes. So you can find if you, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I'm still high on Marvel, like go check those out. Um, or I guess watch Loki first and then, and then go check those out. Uh, though, if you're listening at this point, you probably have seen Loki, I would guess. Uh, and, mm. um, you can find, follow the long take review on Instagram and threads at the long take review. And we also have a Gmail account that PT always effortlessly rattles off. I think it's probably just the long take review at gmail.com. PT's listening to this <laughs> two years from now being Angry. like, no, <laughs> I messed it up. Now I wish we could give do like a like a Marvel's style uh, group hug. Um, yeah, to cap we this need off. a third that member to say higher, further, faster together. But uh, right. oh well. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Greg. Bye. <laughs>